not working on my phone. I've entitled this message, Anxiety vs. Treasure. Anxiety vs. Treasure, it's stemming from Luke 12, verses 22 through 34. And to give you a little context, just as we jump into this uh, block of text here, Jesus is having a conversation in verse 13 of chapter 12 with somebody who's worried about his inheritance. This is what he says. In verse 13, it says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said, But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he later ends this conversation in verse 20 and 21. He says, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So that is kind of the context of why he's going to have this discussion or conversation with his disciples here, starting in verse 22. And I have five points today. You can go ahead and go to the next slide. I have five points, and these five points are in what is called a chiasm, or chiasm, however you want to say it. And so basically what happens is the first point, which sticks furthest to the left, in some way mirrors or has reference to the last point, which sticks furthest to the left. The same thing happens with point number two and point number four. And in the middle of all that, point number three, it sticks out furthest to the right, is, has some reference or bearing on all the other points. It is the peak of the discussion here, okay? So it's a literary device that's helpful for us to remember. Um, I hope it's helpful for us today. Um, before we jump into this text, I know that the sin and the problem of anxiety is very difficult to talk about. I know it is very convoluted. Um, it's different in most people's cases on how they handle it or how they struggle with it. I know it is a very difficult thing, but I also know that God shows us how to beat it, to destroy it. God literally tells us, and I believe the formula to do that is in this passage here. Um, I struggle with anxiety heavily, even though it might not always make its way to the surface. It is a struggle of mine. It is a sin, I do believe. So as I prepare to preach this to you, I had to apply it to my own heart first, as I do with every message. So let me read just the text in full. You guys follow along. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. This is what it says. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. 
Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, and where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is God's word. This is God speaking to us. So as the bookends of this passage, what you have at the beginning is anxiety, and what you have at the end is treasure. And these two things seem to be at odds with one another. The, the treasure is the goal. The anxiety is the goalie, keeping you from getting the goal. So the, the point number one today is anxiety buries your treasure. Being anxious and worried is a result of not trusting God. We're just going to shoot it straight. We can say that what all we want about anxiety, but it really is at its core not trusting God. Jesus says this himself in verse 28 at the end where he says, O you of little faith. He's saying that you do not have faith in God, that he will take care of you. And he points to two things that kind of resonate with us uh, most often. He points to food and he points to clothing. Some of you are worried about what you're eating for lunch today. And some of you worried about what you were going to put on for church this morning, right? So you probably have already encountered two of these today, food and clothing. But honestly, we could probably throw some others in there since we worry about many other things like your car, your bills, your house, your kids, your spouse, your parents, your job, your health, the economy, this country. If your life is consumed with worry about these things, then... Logically, your life will not be consumed and your eyes will not be focused on your treasure, namely our Lord. And that treasure will, meet, will remain buried underneath the mountain of anxiety that we heap upon it. And so Jesus also gets at the heart of the problem and he's saying that life is more than food. Some of you needed to hear that today, right? Life is more than food. There's better things to life than just food, as good as it is. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. So what Jesus is doing here is he's giving us a formula. He's going from the greater gift to the lesser. Okay? Life is great. So if God gives you life, will he not also give you food? Okay? It's the logical flow there. The body is a great gift. Jesus had one himself. He was resurrected in one, right? The body's a great gift. If he gives you your body will then he not also give you means to clothe it. So you see that? It goes from the greater, which God gives you, to the lesser that he provides for you. Okay? And we're going to see this multiple times throughout this passage. Uh, So which leads us to our second point here, that God provides for us, and we see that through creation. So now he's going to point to two more things. He's going to point and exemplify how the Father provides for us through the creative order, through what we see, what we can look out the window and see right now. He's pointing to the ravens or the crows or just birds in general in verse 24. And he also points to the lilies in verse 27, these flowers, the grass of the field. Points to two of those things that we see in creation. But honestly, you can take a look at anything in creation and see these same principles applied. And now he has switched the formula. Now he's going to go from the lesser to the greater. Okay? So, God has provided for the birds. They don't have a barn. They don't have a storehouse. They don't work for their food, but God gives them food. If he does that for the birds, the lesser, will he not do that for the greater, you, 
You're of much more value than the birds, he says. He does the same thing. You're more valuable than the lilies of the field. He says Solomon, who was so rich and had all the clothing, the great clothing he wants, the lilies are dressed better than Solomon. God clothes them better than even Solomon was clothed. If he's willing to do that for this flower, this grass that's in the field and then gone tomorrow, will he not also clothe you, the greater? He went from the lesser to the greater with these two examples. And something that helped me even more, because we can see throughout all creation, I was watching a documentary by a guy named David Attenborough. Real old dude, um, very intelligent, has a faulty worldview. But I was watching this um, documentary, and I was, I was just praising God. I was so intrigued. So in the Arctic Ocean, in springtime, the ice melts. And in that ice is algae that forms on top of the ocean, okay? So the algae is, the ice melts, the algae forms on top of the ocean, and what happens is these little things called krill, they're like little microscopic shrimp type things, come to eat the algae that's forming on top of the ocean. So they're eating the algae, um, and they're having a great meal, and then what comes by is a school of mackerel, okay? A school of mackerel finds the krill that are eating on the algae and starts to eat the krill, so the school of mackerel comes by and starts eating the krill. You can see how God's providing each layer, right? Okay, and then the birds see the mackerel looking down. They have a bird's eye view, literally. Looking down on the ocean, they see the mackerel on the surface eating the krill. So the birds come down and start eating the mackerel, okay? But the mackerel kind of get smart, so they're like, if we go deeper into the ocean, the birds can't get us. But what happens is the dolphins come up and start eating the mackerel, pushing them up towards the birds, and the birds are pushing the mackerel back down towards the dolphins. And I was amazed by this, um, all while listening to David Attenborough's amazing accent, walking me through it all. And so you have algae, krill, mackerel, birds, dolphins, all working together. God is providing for these seemingly insignificant beings in comparison to us. If God clothes the grass of the field, if God brings the krill to the algae, if God provides food for the birds, how much more will he provide for you? We can look to creation right now and see how God provides and cares for us. We are the most valued creation of all. We are made in God's image. He provides, he cares for us. We need to have faith and trust him who is in control. And so we get to point number three, which God is sovereign. And this is the cry of all the scriptures. This is the cry of the entirety of the Bible, that God is in control. And so we see that question riddled throughout uh, this text and, like I said, the rest of scripture, but we see it clearly in verse 25 and 26. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? And it's also implied in verse 30. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. So we are seeing in this, especially in verse 25 and 26, the character of God, which we can really go back to the the sixth commandment in Exodus, where it says, you shall not murder. Why does it say that? Well, it says that because God is the giver and taker of life. He is in control. He is sovereign over all his creation. He is in control. You do not have control over when you die or when you live. 
and you are not able to add an hour to your life, is what he's saying here. That's a small thing. You can't add hours to your life. You think, well, maybe if I don't eat as much McDonald's and if I don't, you know, if I exercise sometimes once a month, then I'll probably be okay, right? You need to exercise more than once a month, by the way. That I can add hours to my life. He's saying, no, you can't. This is a small thing, and you can't do it. If you can't do that, then why are you worried about anything else, really? Why are you worried about the bigger things? And so here we see this formula again. You can't add an hour, which is a lesser thing, then why are you worried about the bigger things in life? You can't do this. Why, why do you think you can do this? Is what God is saying. He knows what we need. He provides for us. This is the main point, really. This is the main point of the text. This is really one of the main points of Scripture. And we say it over and over again. We sing about it. We preach about it. We pray to God, believing that He's sovereign. We say these things over and over again. But then we come back and say, well, you know what? My life is a mess. And I'm freaking out because I don't have next month's rent. And I'm freaking out because I still haven't found a job yet. Or my parents' health is declining. Or my car problems are all piling up on one top of one another. And maybe we even stoop to the level of saying, God, you don't care about me, and it's obvious because I don't have these things. I'm not in control of these things. We say this, maybe not out loud, but in our hearts quite a bit. I know I have. Yet the Father who loves us and cares for us looks at us like a father looks at his child, and he says, I have laid the foundation of the earth. I care for you. I have set each star in the universe, yet you are worth more than them all. Think about that in recent days, what we've just seen in the the galaxy with the new satellite images. You're worth more than all those galaxies, and I place them there with my hand. The ocean is shut in with stone doors that I put there to protect you, protect it from falling on top of you. I care for you. I bring the rain to water the field. I bring the sun to give light. I tell lightning where it should strike. I raise up trees to shade you. I know every hair that is on your head. Every tear that you've cried, I've kept in my bottle. I've given you eyes to see and ears to hear. I give you rest while I stay at work. From every microscopic cell in your body to every gigantic star in the sky, the Lord your God is in control and is sovereign over it all. He cares for you. He cares for you. And this is really what he's getting at here. You're not able to add hours to your life. And and really, if you go back to the original language, it could also mean you can't add height to your body. Okay? So he's playing back to what he said earlier where he says, life is more than food and and the body's more than clothing. He takes life and body and says, you can't add an hour to it and you can't also add any stature to your body. You can't do those small things. You, You won't be able to do the big things. I am in control. I, your heavenly Father, care for you. I love you. Look at outside. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. I care for them. I'll care for you. And so we see this ultimately in Romans 8.32, and I do believe I think I have that in the slideshow somewhere. If not, I'll turn there. Nope. Turn to Romans 8.32. This is actually the greatest verse in the entire Bible. I promise you. I think it is. I think Romans is the greatest book 
Romans 8 is the greatest chapter, and Romans 8.32 is the greatest verse in the Bible. I believe that's an opinion, so. It says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's amazing. It should give you chills. Here we see the formula again. I gave you my son to save you from your sin. If I'm going to do that, the greatest gift of all time, there is nothing that exceeds that because of the implications that follow, right? We're saved from our sin. We spend eternity in a new family adopted by God the Father. If I gave you my son, then won't I also graciously give you everything you need through him? The greater to the lesser. And that's where we ultimately seen it. So what this text is displaying in our text in Luke, and you can turn back there, what it's displaying here ultimately is a passionate love from an almighty God who is sovereign, who cares for you, and who provides for you. And if we believe this, and this is where we're going to get back to the anxiety part, if we believe this, then that means that we are free to take our shovels and start digging up this mound and mountain of anxiety that we've parried that we've buried our treasure with, where our eyes really should be focused. We can be freed knowing that God is sovereign, that he cares for you, that he's in control of your life, and you're not. That's helpful. You are not in control of your life, contrary to popular belief. You don't control things. God is in control. And so we get to point number four, and this is seek what God has provided for you, and he's given us the kingdom. Verse 29 of our text, Jesus is encouraging them again, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. And so he gives us the instead, instead seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Your Father knows these needs. Remember, he's sovereign. He's sovereign over everything. So instead, what you should be seeking is not those needs, but the kingdom. And this is the alternative to our worrisome, fruitless search for what we think we need. And that's really what anxiety is. It's pointless and exhausting, if you think about it. Being worried, if you're a follower of Christ here today, being worried about things is pointless because you're not in control, and it's exhausting. And God frees us from that. So we have to stop playing games with God because we are not God. We do not know what we need, and he does, and good thing he does. So, if he cares for us, and he's shown us through creation, and then ultimately through the offering of his own son to graciously give us everything we need through him, freeing us from anxiety, will we not seek what he tells us to, namely his kingdom? And the kingdom of God, which will one day be fulfilled through new heavens and new earth, is a greater picture of what he provides for us right now through creation, okay? So let me explain that. In other words, God is making everything new. God created this world. It was perfect. Sin corrupts it. It's damaged. It's broken. Some parts of it are ugly. All right? But Jesus redeems not just his people, but redeems everything, the entirety of creation. And God is setting up a new heavens and a new earth. This is what the kingdom he's talking about. So currently we're looking to ravens and lilies to see God's gracious care for us, who he made in his image. 
But God is giving us a kingdom where all things will be redeemed and better and perfect to show his care for us and his love for us. So we look now to what he's provided through creation, but we will then look and seek after something that is far superior. And I love the words of Jesus here in verse 32. So comforting, so gentle. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, tells us you don't have to be anxious. Some of you need to hear that. You don't have to be anxious. You are not indispensable. (laughs) Sometimes we worry, like, if I'm not there, if I'm not doing those things, if I'm not just worried about it constantly, it's not going to get done. That's not true. God is sovereign. He doesn't need you. He chooses to use you, but he doesn't need you. God will accomplish his works however he wishes. So Jesus is saying, fear not. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Little flock, that's the tender care coming from him. I am your shepherd. I laid down my life for you. So don't be afraid. Your father finds joy, finds good pleasure in giving you the kingdom. This is a gift he doesn't begrudgingly give to you, but he wants to give it to you. The kingdom is a gift he wants to give to you. He finds joy in it. So naturally, as we have seen in this text, our eyes shift from our anxieties that we saw at the beginning, our worries and our fears, to considering birds and flowers and all other things in creation, algae and krill and whatnot, to the point that God is sovereign, which frees us from anxiety, who cares for us, and now we shift even further to a future better promise that we see a future better promise of the kingdom. And we are told that if we seek his kingdom, then the lesser things will be added to us again, following the formula, the kingdom is the greater and everything else that we spend time worrying about are the lesser. Seek what is greater, not what is lesser. And these things will be added to you. And so the last point will wrap up everything and complete the cycle. Your treasure then will bury your anxiety. Jesus points us to the fact that our earthly possessions are not necessarily pointless because he says give them to the poor or give them to the needy. So they're not totally useless, but at the same time showing us that they're not imperative. Sell them. So that's what he says here in verse 33. Sell your possessions, give to the needy. Okay? Showing us if our heart is wrapped up in what we've accrued down here, we've missed it. We've missed the point of life. So don't be that way. Don't be so attached to something that you couldn't sell it if you needed to. It's probably a good place to be. So our earthly possessions, they rust, they spoil, they fade. But by seeking the kingdom, we rid ourselves of this anxious worry that binds us to our earthly possessions. And those two things do go hand in hand. Anxious worry binding us to earthly possessions. And in doing so, we provide ourselves a treasure in heaven that won't fail us. There is no thief to break in. There's no moth to destroy it. There's no rust to spoil and fade it and and destroy it. Where your treasure is, your heart, your ambitions, your motivations, your passion, your life will be there also. That is an all-encompassing statement, not just your literal heart, but everything about you Where your treasure is, your life will be there too. Your passions will be there. So what is our treasure? 
I think the better question is, who is our treasure? We're told to seek the kingdom, but we have to ask the question, why is this kingdom worth seeking? Is it because it doesn't rust? Is it because it's eternal? Is it because it's perfect? I think those are good things, but I don't think that's why we seek the kingdom, to be honest. What makes the kingdom worth seeking is the fact that it's his kingdom. Verse 31, instead, seek his kingdom, God's kingdom, and these things will be added to you. The king is what makes the kingdom good. A kingdom is just a place, but what makes it great is that the sinner is an almighty, all-knowing, holy, gracious, merciful, just, sovereign God who cares for his people. That's a kingdom we want to be a part of, and it's not because of the roads of gold or the crystal sea. It's not because of those things. It's because of who sits on the throne that we want to be a part of it. The king makes the kingdom. So as we conclude here, Ben actually read it earlier. John in chapter 4 of Revelation describes the middle of heaven as a throne. And the throne where our Lord is seated, arrayed in all of his glory, being praised constantly by millions and millions of angels, attributing to him all worth, glory, and honor, and power, and dominion. They don't even cease to do it. That is our God who rids us of our anxious thoughts. We can be anxious if we're the ones sitting there, but we're not. Since God is sitting there, we don't have to be anxious because he faithfully provides everything we need. Consider the ravens, consider the lilies. He gives up his own son to pay for our sin. He'll give us everything else we need. He joyfully gives us the kingdom, the future promise that is better than creation where he is seated as the king. He is our highest joy and our greatest treasure. God is our treasure. So may our hearts be captured by our treasure. May our lives be encompassed by this treasure that we seek so that we can have eyes to see it and to uncover our treasure, to get it out of the ground. And as we're fixated on it, we're shoveling back into the hole where it once laid our anxiety and our worry and our fear and covering up with a mountain of dirt while keeping our eyes on our treasure as we magnify and as we exalt our God. Baker Heights, let us fix our eyes on Him. Anxiety is an awful sin. It's awful that we deal with it. But God graciously provides the means to kill it as we rejoicingly seek our treasure, our King, our God, and our Father. And He shows us through many means, by giving us creation, by providing for us His kingdom. Let us seek the King. Let's pray. Father, thank You for...